This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing preventing decompensation in patients with cirrhosis by utilizing non-selective beta blockers. With me is Associate Editor, Dr. Sonali Paul of the University of Chicago, and we'll be discussing her summary of a randomized control trial published in The Lancet back in 2019, which is part of our In Case You Missed It series, because this study is a seminal study influencing new guidelines about the management of cirrhotic patients. So welcome, Dr. Paul. And let's just start by discussing briefly why it's important to identify patients at high risk for decompensation of cirrhosis and what we can do about it. Thanks so much, um, Dr. Schilder, for having me. So um, why it's important to decompensate decompensated cirrhosis as defined by having ascites, a variceal bleed, or hepatic encephalopathy is really associated with very high mortality and very poor prognosis. And so if we can diagnose folks that have clinically significant coronal hypertension, we know that's the main determinant of decompensation. And so if we can find ways to prevent decompensation, especially ascites and hepatic encephalopathy, that'd be great. We already use non-selective beta blockers for variceal bleeding prophylaxis, but this study kind of went one step further. Sure. And let's talk about that study. So this is a Spanish double-blind placebo-controlled RCT where 600-plus patients with cirrhosis were screened and ultimately 200 patients were randomized. And in screening these patients, they actually measured a hepatic venous pressure gradient. And if a patient had a pressure gradient greater than 10 to identify them as having portal hypertension, they actually got an IV dose of propranolol to see if the beta blocker would decrease that portal gradient by 10%. If it did, the patients got randomized to either propranolol or placebo. If they were non-responders to that IV dose of propranolol, then they were labeled non-responders and got randomized to either carbidolol at a dose of 6.25 milligrams or placebo. Whether they were on placebo or one of the non-selective beta blockers, doses were uptitrated based on patient response to try to get a heart rate of 55 while still maintaining a systolic blood pressure greater than 90. And so these 200 plus patients were followed for a mean of 37 months. And what they found was that they reduced hepatic decompensation defined, as you mentioned, by either hepatic encephalopathy, ascites, or a variceal bleed, that it was reduced by 50% based on the hazard ratio. To give you the specific numbers, that approximately 27% of patients in the placebo group decompensated versus approximately 16%. Again, with time-to-event ratio, it was about a 50% reduction. Now, most of this was in reducing the risk for ascites, 20% in the placebo group versus only 9% in the beta blocker group. I'd note that that's partly because GI bleeding was very uncommon in both groups, 
only about three to four percent. And that probably reflects the fact that if patients developed high-risk esophageal varices, then they got prophylactically banded because these patients were undergoing annual surveillance upper endoscopies. Nevertheless, the people who are on beta blockers were much less likely to develop high-risk esophageal varices that required banding. So generally, pretty big reduction in developing hepatic decompensation when we use beta blockers. But on the other hand, we really don't normally routinely measure hepatic venous pressure gradients here in the United States. We tend to use fiber scans. So big question for you, Dr. Paul, is so how do you apply this kind of data in your practice now? No, it's a great question. So it's really interesting. So I think one thing to, to just point out that these are patients with compensated cirrhosis. As soon as someone decompensates, you really have to put them on kind of baricele screening pathway that we can discuss later if needed. But for my, for my practice, all my patients, even if I know they have cirrhosis, so if I measure their portal pressure gradient and it's greater than 10 in the, in the case of getting a biopsy, I will routinely put those folks on beta blockers because I know they have clinically significant hypertension, portal hypertension. But in the absence of that, it's really using transient elastography or liver stiffness measurements. Fiber scan is, is most routine. And there's different types of criteria that are used. There's something called the Bovino uh, 7 criteria that was just published in 2022. Um, and then there's also our own ASLD guidelines in the U.S., and so the Vivino criteria actually diagnose clinically significant portal hypertension as a liver stiffness measurement greater than 25. And in those patients, they recommend starting non-selective beta blockers. And they don't actually recommend screening these patients anymore for embarrassings because you're not, your management is going to be the same. It's not going to change your management. It's important to note that these guidelines obviously are fairly new, just came out last year, and really differ with the ASLD guidelines that were in 2017. The ASLD makes it so that if you have a liver stiffness less than 20 and a platelet count greater than 150, those folks have very much a low probability of having high-risk varices, and you can actually avoid endoscopy. They don't go on to say that you should be putting folks that have higher parameters of that, so liver stiffness greater than 20 or a platelet count less than 150. They actually recommend doing an endoscopy, a screening endoscopy, and going from there and not just prophylactically placing patients on beta blockers. But with the Bovino criteria, which this study helped produce the, the guideline recommendations, it's saying if you have a liver stiffness that is greater than 25, go ahead and start the beta blockers because that's really showing you that there's clinically important portal hypertension. And based on this study, you're going to reduce hepatic decompensation in those patients, partly by managing their portal hypertension with the beta blockers? Yes. And I think it's important to note, though, I mean, every I, my preference is carbidolol because there's more data related to it. But the what I run into often is blood pressure room. Carbidolol has higher blood pressure effects than propanolol or, or natalol do. So uh, it's harder sometimes to start it because patients can get hypotensive. We definitely don't work that. And so if I'm limited by blood pressure, then I, I would do propanolol or, or one of the other non-selective beta blockers. And then how often do you get FibroScan on your patients who are compensated cirrhotics? Yeah, it's a very interesting thing to come into liver clinic and get a FibroScan every year, but I actually do it annually. Because what we don't want, I mean, most folks, if we can manage their risk factors, things like alcohol or hep C, we've eradicated their hep C. The theory is that they won't be getting any worse, their liver disease and portal hypertension, if anything, will get better. 
I still think the fiber scan is such an easy test to do. It's a point of care for us now, really in liver clinic. And so I do that annually and I check CBCs, so platelet counts annually, just to be sure that you know, nothing else has kind of happened in the interim and that they're not developing clinically significant portal hypertension. And where are the Bovino criteria published so that our listeners can go back and update themselves about these new guidance? So they are in the Journal of Hepatology. It's volume 76, um, pages 959 to 974. So I think this is really important information for our listeners to know, you know, get the fiber scan. If they've got clinically significant portal hypertension, start the non-selective beta blocker optimally with carbidolol at 6.25 milligrams if the patient can tolerate that. But if not, using one of the other non-selective beta blockers because we really have good data that that's going to reduce the risk for decompensation. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. Paul, and we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Thank you. Thank you.